today on the Scott Thompson Show on AM 900 CHML. Canadian Muslim leaders are disputing a study that we talked about earlier on in the week that says several mosques and Islamic schools are endangering young people with extremist teachings. The study entitled The Lovers of Death says uh, that uh, only extremist literature is being found. Uh, the the story which came out of the Canadian press on Monday uh, is quoted as saying many mosques and Islamic schools in Canada are placing young people at risk by ex- by espousing or at least not condemning extremist studies. The co-author, a former intelligence analyst with the Privy Council Office and the RCMP and a journalist originally from Egypt, based their findings on research conducted quietly in mosques uh, and libraries and Islamic schools. Uh, and of course, uh, their response into what uh, 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 the Muslim organizations have said in 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 uh, in disputing this, um, the study's authors go on to say this is not a Muslim bashing exercise. Uh, this is an attempt to deliberately provoke the government and the media into addressing the actual issues of what's going on. Here's the material that's actually being taught. Here's where it comes from. Here's how it's getting there. Is this acceptable in Canada? Yes or no? And uh, that's out of the Canadian press. To talk more about all of this, uh, Anvar Iman is with us, professor and Canada Research Chair in Religion, Pluralism, and the Rule of Law, University of Toronto Faculty of Law, and he is with us now. Good afternoon, Anvar. How are you today? I'm well. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Thanks very much for taking the time to join us. What are your thoughts on this report? Well, you know, I, uh, I, I read the report. I looked it over, and... One, it's, it's not a particularly novel report. We've seen reports like this coming out of the, the, fringe, uh, the, the fringe sector of the United States since 2001. Um, and so in many senses, this is rather late to a game that's already been played out in the U.S. And so, I don't know, to quote the irascible uh, Jay-Z, I got 99 problems and this report ain't one. Uh, so this is a fringe report that we should just blow this off? We shouldn't pay any attention to it at all? Well, in my, in my view, I mean, if you look at the methodology of the report, I mean, they basically go to four mosques in Ottawa and use that as a sample to reflect the entire Canadian landscape of mosques. Is, is that they really look, what you think they're doing, or are they trying to expose the fact that there are four here that we went to, and that's what they're doing? I mean, do you think no, they're trying they to paint, it. Do you think they're trying actually, to paint with the, with the same brush, or they're just trying yeah, to say, no, they are. hey, it is going they are. on? They are spinning with a large brush because that's what exactly they do in the report. They state exactly what their sample size is, and from that, if you read the executive summary, they then paint quite broadly. And so actually they are creating a kind of hype around, uh, around a, a problematic methodology. So for instance, let me give you an example. In, 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 your, in your introduction to the segment, you talked about what's being taught in, out of the materials in these libraries. Well, if you actually look at the libraries, first of all, the authors get the books wrong. There's a picture of a book which they describe as by one author from the 18th century, and if you look at the title in the picture, it's actually by an author from the 13th century. So they can't figure out their date. So that's one. Two, even if, if these books are in the library, in order for them to be able to say this is what's being taught, they have to have data on usage. They have to have data on how often are these books actually checked out, who's actually reading them. 
The fact is, these are really pretty books. If you look at the images, they're all part of a larger publishing process in the Arab world, which beautifies covers of books. I have a number of these, and it's not uncommon to find these books adorning shelves of people who never actually read them, let alone even read Arabic. Isn't so that not- blowing all of this off, Unver, though? I mean, again, whether, you know, whether this study paints with a broad brush or not, at the end yeah. of the day, the question is, is this stuff being, is this stuff available? and being taught in schools and i would guess most canadians would be in a would be in disagreement with that so well, it's not a case of whether I, I i think you're taking this way down the wrong path i don't think well, this is a case about painting uh, the whole muslim community with the same brush or all mosques with the same brush right. i think what this is about and what they're trying to bring to the surface and and remove the discussion of political correctness around it all is is this stuff being taught? If it is being taught, we have to stop it. And well, where is it being taught? Not painting everybody with the same brush. So my question to you is, if we went into these schools or these libraries, would we find this information? And, yeah, is, it, all, and is it right to be there, I guess is my and, question. And, and you, yes, you will find it there. And you'll also find it at Robart's library here at the University of Toronto. I mean, these are not unknown quantities. These are not unknown texts. They all have a particular historical vintage to them. Um, most faculty members at the university who do anything on the modern Middle East will have these books in their offices. So, again, this isn't about books. If this was simply about materials or books, then we would be targeting every library, not just mosque libraries. What this report is about isn't about the content of the books. It's about what we can assume the content is doing in a very specific space. And that space is the mosque. It's not the university. It's not the NGO. It's the mosque specifically. So then it raises the question, who's going to these mosques? How do we, how do we assess mosque attendance, especially in an era where you have massive decline in mosque attendance by people of sort of millennial generation. You have the entire unmosked movement, which is not unlike the home church movement you see among Christians who are tired of the formal rigors of an old school kind of church environment, which is now, which is now also infiltrated the, the, the Muslim community. And let's also, be, let's also be frank, I mean, the selection of mosques itself is a problem. Certainly, there's always going to be this kind of material anywhere you find it. You want to find it, you can easily find it. And if you want to, if you want to identify who's actually providing it, yes, a lot of it comes out of Saudi Arabian-based presses, which raises a different question about our, our relationship with Saudi Arabia and Saudi Arabia's role in proliferating this kind of material through its economic largesse. But the larger question for me is, is um, what am I supposed to infer from a report like this? I'm supposed to infer that books that are sitting on a shelf in a specific space called a mosque thereby are utilized and read in a way that is never documented, that are somehow taught but which is never documented, that are provided for students but which is never documented in this report, and thereby contributes to a climate of Islamic extremism in Canada. That's what I'm supposed to infer from this in the absence of any real sophisticated quantitative data. I think, all the, I think the only question people want answered, Unver, is, excuse me, is this material being taught, and is it, is it being exposed to people who may be easily radicalized? That's what yes, people and, want and, to know. And this, and this report doesn't address that. This report just says this material is on a bookshelf in a mosque. That's what it says. You can find this material on a bookshelf. Should it, it address- should it be, should this type of material be on a shelf in a, bo- in, in a mosque? 
Well, unless we want to participate in a, in, a, in a process of censorship and book censorship, we want to limit people's freedom of speech, freedom of press. I think what people are trying to limit here is terrorism yeah. and radicalization. So let's no, try to keep it in the center and not one extreme or the other. We, no, don't, need, we don't need complete censorship to remove terrorism from our vocabulary. Right, but, but, we're but trying... how, far do we want to, how far do we want to go? So, for instance, France a couple of weeks ago has now imprisoned someone for simply visiting websites that the government deemed uh, deemed uh, deemed uh, extremist, and what he testified in court was simply, "I was just curious." Now, in my in my research, I have to re- I have to research material that is in fact put out by extremist organizations, and a lot of that material is on the web, and I do it in the context of my research. Does my simply having that material on my iPad? on my computer, on my shelf, make me prone to terrorism? Am I not allowed to have that kind of material? Ought I be able to have access to material for, for analysis? And that's the kind of freedom we're talking about. So the moment you do ask the question, ought this material be available, is the minute you do open the slippery slope of how far do you go, how do you regulate? Are you simply going to say mosques should not be allowed to have this material? but university libraries can? Well, how will you make that distinction? Are you going to say, well, Muslim organizations that aren't certified in a certain way cannot, but others can? How do you square that with our equality commitments? How do you square that with our religious freedom commitments? Now, is this to say that there isn't a problem? Certainly there is. Certainly there are elements within the Muslim community that espouse these radical ideas. Can and we those, spend some time can we spend some time talking about how we address that rather than I what we shouldn't be doing? I would, so I would what what's the that. solution? How do you convince Canadians that radicalization is not is not happening in any mosque in anywhere in the country? I'm not saying it isn't. I'm just saying this report doesn't doesn't tell me whether it is. Well, okay, or let's go back to that. Yeah. Is there radicalization going on in mosques across the country? I think, I think that my understanding of investigations being conducted is that, yes, of course it's going on. It's going on in ways that... How do we like address that? How do we address well, that? How do we well, solve number, that? There's a number of ways. So, for instance... There's a and again, I think what this is saying, and I think what this is trying to get Canadians to admit is that exactly what you just said is happening. Nobody's trying to paint all of the Muslim religion with the same brush, whether this report is or not, or whether you interpret it that way or not. My point is, is that I think Canadians do not want this being taught anywhere in any mosque in any country, or sorry, in this country. And they certainly want to uh, have some sort of discussion in how we solve this problem without without stepping on toes politically. That's a problem because... Let's, for instance, talk about some of the material that's deemed offensive, for instance, right? Uh, the, the entire Islamophobic industry and, 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 and security industry that's come out with reports like this, whether it's Pamela Geller, Robert Spencer, the Center for Strategic, uh, the Strategic Policy in, in Washington, D.C., or now this group, all of them have put out very similar reports. All of them read with very similar language, and all of them um, rely on the treatment of non-Muslims under Islamic law, which is a topic of consideration in early Islamic legal treatises, and that is oftentimes talked about today in Muslim settings. It's the Vimy issue. And, and the concern among security-minded individuals is that this kind of legal tradition creates a culture of discrimination, and Muslims seek to subordinate all religious minorities in the service of an Islamic vision. Now, I wrote a book on this entire field of law to basically interrogate this framework. And the problem isn't that this material is, is available or is taught. 
The problem is how do we interpret centuries-old texts? And by we, I mean both people on the right and the left, in the Muslim community and outside the You're Muslim never going to get consensus on that. That's why we exactly. don't base our law on religion. It's based on, on law. I mean, right. th that's exactly why we're not practicing Sharia law here. Again, I want to get back to the question, though, Unver. Right. How do we rid our Canadian mosques of radical teachings? Uh, you know, whether it, it, you want to look at it as painting the whole a whole uh, society with, with, with one brush or, or whether we can just zero in on those one, two, however many it may be. How do we rid, how do we get to those and how do we rid those teachings, those radical teachings from those mosques? Well, I think there's, there's a twofold strategy one has to adopt, both in terms of correcting prior problems in the way we've approached this issue uh, and also taking proactive steps. So the first one has to do with recognizing that the language around Islamic extremism or Muslims in general in Canada, and, and, and Canada is a more muted version than what's going on in the U.S. or, the, or Europe, but not only different in, in degree, not kind, is that we have to recognize that Islamic extremism, when framed around security, also plays to a certain kind of dog whistle politics that the Conservative Party made use of in the federal election, but to its, its defeat. So that's one, is to separate the dog whistle politics from concerns around security. But second, it does, it does demand that we think about, to the extent the, 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 the Muslim community reflects a, a largely but not entirely immigrant population, many who come from, from, from societies of civil strife, one of the concerns that we see, one of the questions that's often asked is, are we importing conflicts from elsewhere? And um, an, an author and a professor here at the University of Toronto, Rima Byrne-McGowan, did a, did a full analysis uh, interviewing uh, quite a number of individuals who are identified as Muslim who are, who are from these regions. And she says, what we import isn't conflict or terrorism. What we import is trauma. And our inability as a society to engage the trauma that we bring in through the refugee um, and, and immigration process is going to be part of the solution going forward. And so if you want to think about how you deal with radicalization in the mosques, we deal with trauma the way we often deal with trauma. Um, we need to think about greater funding and support for trauma clinics, for mental health clinics, because most of the reports around those who are radicalized and go off and fight for ISIS do reflect a certain kind of peripheral, marginal individual, many times with mental health concerns. Mm -hmm. Our inability to address that and situate that concern as a, at the center of our, concern, of, our, of our interest in combating extremism is a failure of our state and our, and our health system to account for a more robust health provision system. How can we address it if we don't identify it first? Well, I, I think that it has been identified. It's just not politically convenient or cost-effective to address it in that fashion. Right? I mean, to, to try to expand the state's provisions of health care to include various forms of trauma, trauma service and trauma care is costly. And it's not politically, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a very easy political um, vision to put into effect. So, so until we can provide the proper mental health care for refugees we bring in who've experienced traumatic uh, life or death situations fleeing their homeland, until we can do that, we can't rid Canada or, or its mosques of these teachings? Well, I think, that, I think what you're asking is how do we control for people's tendencies, people's abilities to be violent or to engage in criminal behavior? Some may arrive so, at the conclusion then we shouldn't let anyone in. 
Like, well, I mean, no. th- that will fuel that camp, wouldn't it? Or, well, well there, there's certainly that argument, but I think that that's only if you see the problem as an external threat that comes in from outside. Um, so, for instance, when we, when we talk about violence in, let's say, the Jane and Finch area in Toronto, we talk about gang violence or whatnot. We don't talk about, let's not let these people in. They're already here. They're part of our society. They're born and raised here. But when we, when we talk about Islamic extremism, we seem to think of it as this foreign thing that we can control for at our border. When in, but when we think about gang violence, for instance, we don't think of it in the same way. We certainly do have a policing enterprise that we ramp up in certain places and ramp down in others. But we also try to, at least, at least in some sectors, um, enhance our social welfare programming, our outreach programming, our, our expenditures on, 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 on welfare programs. I understand that, what you're saying, Unver, but yeah. there's people listening right now that are saying, what's the responsibility of the mosque? What's the responsibility of peace-loving Muslims? Enough about, you know, how we should be spending more money on this and more money on that and this, that, and the other. People want to know what we can be doing now to solve this problem. Well, I, I've, I've looked at a number of things of the we, i.e. the state, the large Canadian society. If what you mean is what can individual Muslims do, you know, I'm not really in, in a position to speak on behalf of a, of a, of a people who are diverse. And what, responsibility do, what responsibility do mosques have here to stop radicalization of, uh, of members? What, what responsibility do they have? Well, I would assume that every institution, mosque, church, or synagogue, is, is committed to the law and protection of, of Canadian law. And so my assumption is that they, like anyone else, are, are required to abide by the law. And so as long as they do that, then anything else that happens is a policing matter for the state to manage. And, and hopefully, in the context of a more robust engagement on, on, on concerns around trauma, um, a, a, a community-oriented policing system that accounts for diversities of different communities which we do quite well in some sections of Canada and not in others. Edmonton, for instance, has a very effective community policing program. Anver Iman has been with us, Professor and Canada Research Chair in Religion, Pluralism, and the Rule of Law, University of Toronto. Anver, fascinating discussion. Thanks very much for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you. Bye-bye. Want to hear more? Download the podcast on iTunes or Google Play and listen to The Scott Thompson Show weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.